And I'm Megan. Welcome to the Shh Don't Talk About It podcast, where we talk about all the things we need to say out loud, but think that we can't. We're going to talk about all the things. We're going to shed light on them. We're going to embrace them and we're going to fucking love them. So join us on this journey as we get rid of shame and start talking about it. Welcome back to the Shh, Don't Talk About It podcast. Hey, Megan. Hello. Hi. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in today. We have an incredible episode today with an incredible person who was very vulnerable and transparent. I feel like there's a lot of stigma attached to this particular topic. What are we talking about today, Megan? We are talking about bipolar disorder with Elena Rencher from the Bipolar Buzz podcast. And she's talking about, it's her her story of discovering that she has bipolar disorder and the journey to figuring out how to live with that and manage that, as well as her thoughts around what might be good to change in the mental health industry and her advocacy. And I just really appreciated her take on all of it because it's still a really stigmatized diagnosis yeah in a way that's pretty frustrating I think for people who carry the the that label and who have those symptoms absolutely like you hear it you hear the term just thrown around just Mm -hmm. like in loosely uh, making fun of people or what whatnot and I hate that because it's so serious like this diagnosis is pretty serious and Elena shares her story and it's a serious diagnosis it can be really dangerous if you don't get the help that you need and the support that you need and people don't feel comfortable reaching out or talking about it because of the stigmatization and because they feel embarrassed or ashamed and it's so this is such an important thing to talk about and I'm so happy that she came on and shared it with us me too because it's really like you said, it's really, it's pretty dangerous. It's pretty misunderstood. Like it's, yeah. but it's, there's actually like a spectrum of mood disorders from something called cyclothymia to bipolar two to bipolar one. None are more serious than the, another. They're serious in different ways. Mm-hmm. And bipolar disorder in the mental health community, it's considered a severe and persistent mental illness, SPMI, like that term gets thrown around a lot and they lump bipolar and major depressive order and schizophrenia into it. And the way that clinicians talk about it and treat people that are in the middle of experiencing the height of those symptoms honestly makes me sick. It makes my skin crawl sometimes. Yeah. 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 It's very stigmatized. So She shares a lot, and I think a lot of people can learn from her story and maybe provide people with more grace and more understanding around this diagnosis. And people can live full and healthy lives, productive lives, um, with the right help and the right support. And she's a wonderful example of that. It was so fun to talk, even though it's a serious topic. Yeah. And listeners, if you or someone that's really that wants to do a deep dive into the topic or is curious about like more kind of in-depth mental health coverage. Her podcast, The Bipolar Buzz, focuses exclusively on 
mental health and mental health stigma. And it's a great place to go find community if you are in a place where that's something that you're looking for. Yeah. So go check her out there and check her out now. Yep. Check her out now. Here she is. Here's Elena. Hi, Elena. Welcome to our podcast. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm so, so, so happy to be on. Yes. We're so excited to have you on the pod today. And there's a little relationship here between I think you Megan and some other previous people that have been on our pod before so yes. you want to share that Megan <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> we're we're excited to have Elena as herself but they're a fun family connection listeners that have been with us for a while are familiar with our good friend Alexis she's been on the pod twice once talking about her postpartum anxiety last season she came on to talk about her DNA surprise and Elena is Alexis's sister and we're all like meeting for the first time today and just like huge smiles it's just really fun yeah it's pretty amazing it's really (laughs) nice to meet you and it just ties us all in in the community that we're building here together so thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story we have elena joining us today and her story is amazing. She is the host of a podcast called Bipolar Buzz. We'll make sure to link folks to it in our show notes. And Elena is a woman who really has been unafraid of letting her mental health diagnosis get in the way of her or stop her from building a really rich, really beautiful life, despite some real ups and downs, which she'll tell us about. I feel that her story embodies the theme of this season, which is leap of faith and being unafraid to do things that are difficult or being scared and doing them anyway. So Mm -hmm. she's here to share her story of this journey of living with bipolar disorder, which is considered a severe mental health diagnosis. And we're really honored to get to have you here and make space for it. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Thank you. I'm excited to share with you all and hopefully just enlighten people about what bipolar disorder is and some of the different ways that people might experience it. So thank y'all for inviting me to be on the pod. I'm really happy and excited to share. Absolutely. Why don't we just start with the basics? We reached out because, because we know you through Alexis, but also as we were mapping out this season, we were thinking about the work that you're doing the work that you're doing to spread not just awareness of mental health needs and the need for better mental health care, but also the work you're doing to really destigmatize this diagnosis. Bipolar is something that kind of happened to fall upon me and I had no idea until after the fact. Not everybody with bipolar disorder experiences psychosis, but I do have bipolar disorder with psychotic features. I was actually living away from home. I was in a PhD program at the time in Georgia and Atlanta. And really I was under a lot of stress and I, it was like a switch. One moment I'm like, feeling great, feeling myself, or at least I think I am. And then the next, I'm like hallucinating. I'm Mm -hmm. seeing things that other people can't see. I'm hearing things that other people can't hear. And then I got really paranoid and was having like grand delusions. And it was very, it was very scary after the fact, because, you know, during the psychotic episode, that is your reality. And it's hard for people who haven't experienced it to understand that. But for me, everything that I was experiencing was real life. And even though other people couldn't see everything that I was seeing or hear what I was hearing or feel what I was feeling, to me, that was my reality. But anyway, it was very dangerous because I was like driving while I was having an episode. By the grace of God, though, I had driven myself to a hospital in downtown Atlanta. And by this time I had parked my car and I thought I had legally parked it. I didn't. It's just a crazy story. But I wound up outside of a hospital and they ended up admitting me to the ER because they saw me out in the middle of the street with all this oncoming traffic. And they're like, hey, something's going on with this girl. Maybe she needs some help. (laughs) They admitted me to the ER and eventually to the inpatient psych ward. But they had no idea who I was. Like I didn't have my ID. I didn't have my phone on me. I had lost my car, my coat, everything. And it's like cold during this time. But Yes, I was in the hospital for about six days, in the inpatient hospital for about six days. And they told me, hey, we think you have brief psychotic disorder. That's what my original diagnosis was, which, and I'm not a psychiatrist or anything, but it's a sudden onset of psychotic symptoms that last, I think, I want to say it's like last for a month, and then they fully resolve and you have a full recovery. Mm I continued going to therapy and seeking treatment, and eventually I got a bipolar 1 disorder diagnosis because of other symptoms that I had also experienced. So that is the short, condensed version of how I got my disorder or my diagnosis of bipolar 1 disorder. And it's just so important to me because it really disrupted and uprooted my whole entire life, just everything that I knew at that point was just, I didn't know what I knew anymore. So that's why Mm -hmm. I'm so vocal about it. Oh my gosh, how scary. So you were going Mm -hmm. through your PhD program. How Mm -hmm. old were you when this happened? I was 26. Okay. And Mm -hmm. leading up to this, you didn't have any other sort of symptoms or mental health, depression, anxiety, or anything like that leading into this? 
I did, but at the time uh-huh. I didn't know what to call it, or I didn't realize that I was experiencing bipolar mm-hmm. symptoms. It's very uncommon for people to go seek help when they're manic versus when they're depressed. So I had ex- been experiencing a lot of mania, but I'm feeling like good about myself, like increased yeah. energy, inflated self-esteem. Like I'm not thinking anything is wrong, but right. after the fact, after all that happened and I look back on it, now I can see, oh, okay. Like I, I wasn't sleeping very well. I wasn't eating very well. My thoughts were racing and all over the place. So mm-hmm. in retrospect, yes, I do see that I had other symptoms outside of just the psychosis part. But at mm-hmm. the time, I didn't realize it was something that I needed anybody's professional help for. And then I didn't get my bipolar diagnosis until November of that year. Uh, was there a lot of ups and downs in between that period? Oh, yeah. Mostly yeah. downs. Mostly uh-huh. downs for me. I wasn't even getting out of bed to go to class anymore. Like it was just it was really bad. And then I moved back in with my mom. So I'm depressed about that. I don't have any work. It's very isolating. I didn't want anybody to know what I had been through because people look at you like you're crazy or they're like, I don't know about that girl. So it was something I didn't really want to talk about because I felt like people would think of me differently. Yeah. That's why it's so important to talk about it now. How confusing and uprooting that is to like, Mm -hmm go about your life, you're in school, everything's normal in quotation marks. And then what the fuck, you know, what is yes. happening? <laughs> Do they know? Do you know what might have triggered it? Because I know sometimes there's like a triggering event that can put somebody in psychosis. Mm-hmm. Or is do you um, know what then? So they did tell me in the very beginning, even when I had the brief psychotic disorder diagnosis that it was stress induced. And uh, the psychiatrist at the hospital that I was admitted to said that he felt like it was the PhD program that I was in that was, I guess, contributing to all the stress that I had. Mm -hmm. I do think that was part of it, but I also think there was just a lot of different things going on. And I guess all of it combined just made me lose my mind and Mm -hmm. lose touch with reality. I was very involved in a lot of things, which looking back on it, I probably shouldn't have been. And then I was also making A's in all my classes. So it's like, how are you doing all these? How are you doing all these things? And your head is still above water. So Mm -hmm. I just think it was a combination of different things for me. So you went, I guess it was about six months between the first psychotic episode, the brief psychotic disorder diagnosis to then getting the bipolar one label. When you Mm -hmm. got the diagnosis, like, how did you feel about it at first? Because it's a big, throwing around words like psychosis, bipolar, like that's a big thing to have told to you. It's a lot to absorb and it can be really overwhelming for people. And then I've also seen yeah. it be really a huge relief for some people to have an explanation for what's happening. And then like, how did that, how did it feel for you when you got the label? Yeah. When I got the label of bipolar disorder for me, I felt relief. Mm -hmm. I felt that was going to help me be able to seek the appropriate treatments that I needed in order to manage my symptoms and to live a healthier life and to live emotionally well. I just felt like that's me. Like I identified with it. It wasn't like I was trying to reach for things and say, oh yeah, I think that's me. But I, when I read the symptoms, like in the, the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental health disorders, I said, I so much identify 
with this right here. I just felt like now I can be on medications that are actually going to help me. I can get treatments that are going to help me versus you just treating the psychosis. Let's also treat the depressive symptoms and the manic symptoms as well. Mm-hmm. How did you, what was, what were the, like, what did that initial like care plan look like? Were you like, okay, time to figure out meds, therapy, let's dive all in. Did you start with one and then build to the other? I, so when I was first discharged from the inpatient psych ward, I did have a therapist on campus because I went right back to school after I was discharged. Which was oh my mistake. God. But wow. yeah, like literally the day after I got out of the hospital, I was back in school. Oh my God. <laughs> Awful decision. <laughs> well, I can uh, understand wanting to just be like normal, right? Exactly. Like you just have yeah, this really scary thing happen. <laughs> yes. That um, is what I wanted. That's what I convinced everybody in the hospital just, that I, that was what's going to be best for me is to just send me back to my normal yeah. life. Let's just ignore um, that all of that just happened and let's just go back to <laughs> exactly. you know, what I was doing. And they let me do it. They were like, yeah, yeah we think it would probably do more harm than good to keep you here so let's send you on back I can't believe that they just sent you how did you feel about getting sent just right back (laughs) to school at first I was right back in the flow of things because you know my six days at the hospital like I was feeling actually pretty good about myself after I had gotten over okay you just experienced this episode I got over that pretty quickly and then went back to school but then a couple weeks in that's when everything just started to plummet I started getting super depressed. I ended up not finishing the program. Like I withdrew. I did an emergency withdrawal with an intent to return. And I did try to go back in August of that year of 2017. But ultimately, I was like, I've got too much anxiety for this. The environment was triggering for me. And I just, I couldn't do it mentally. I wasn't, I hadn't had enough treatment. I hadn't taken care of myself enough to be able to continue down that path. Can you, if you can recall, can you take us back to what that inpatient care looked like? Or do you Mm -hmm. remember what it was all, what it was like? Was it like in the movies? I'll start with when they took me to the ER because I I remember they put me in a, I don't know, but they put you in, a lot of ERs have, I don't know if they call them psych rooms. I don't know if that's like the term that they use, but Mm -hmm. anyway, it's a room that doesn't have any windows in it. They cover up the outlets and stuff just in case. And so it's just like this plain room and then the bed, it's like a stationary bed. It's not one of those that you can like move around or raise or lower Mm -hmm. or anything like that. So Anyway, I remember them putting me in one of those kinds of rooms and they had just asked me like what my name was, maybe a couple other trying to identifying information, trying to figure out who is this girl. But I was so paranoid. I didn't, I didn't give them my name. I can't tell you who I am. People are after me. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, I can't yeah. tell you guys who I am. But anyway, I remember them closing the door and it's, it, to me, it sounded like it slammed. I'm not sure if it actually slammed, but it sounded like it slammed and then I kind of didn't fully come out of it. But I woke up in that moment when the door slammed and I was like, where am I? Because I didn't realize I was in the hospital at that mm-hmm. time. There there were doctors in there talking to me, but I still, it didn't click in my head that I was in a hospital. Eventually, they admitted me to the inpatient psych ward. And I just remember like getting a lot of questions. Who are you? Is there someone we can call? They would give me medicine, not really telling me what it was, just take this, take that. I just remember feeling very 
like alone. Like I remember mm-hmm. just, I mean, they gave me a meal and I just remember sitting at this table and looking out this big window and just wondering like, <laughs> what's going on? Like, I'm still, I still don't know. And I remember my nurse, she came up to me and she says, well, you know, what happened? Tell me what's going on. And I remember telling her that I felt like I was in a movie. That was one of the things that one of my um, delusions, hallucinations, I felt like I was in a movie and we were all, Mm -hmm. we all had the script. We all knew what we were supposed to say, what we were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, if you're, if you're in a movie, where are the cameras? And at that moment, I was like, you're right. Like there, there are no cameras. What movie are we in? And it's just like questions like that kind of started waking me up. And at that point I was like, I need to call my mom. Something's, something's not right. Did anybody know where you were or, oh my gosh, they must know. I hadn't gone to work. I I think I had a couple meetings I was supposed to be at. I wasn't there. Nobody had heard from me. I lost my phone. And even if I did have my phone, they don't let you have that in the psych ward. They don't let you have certain things, Mm -hmm. a phone being one of them. But yeah, nobody knew where I was. So you were missing. Yes. And I actually, my church pastor actually filed a missing persons report. because uh, I had left my purse or wallet at home, I think, because the 24 hours or whatever it is that's supposed to pass before you file a missing person report, I think they wait a certain amount of time before they actually do it for an adult. But because I had left my purse and my wallet at my apartment, they were like, oh, we can go ahead and do this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there was a missing person report, but yeah, nobody knew where I was. I didn't even know where I was. I'm having Um, chills thinking of all the things that could have gone wrong. That's it's really scary. Like the, the psychosis is scary, and then the whole mm-hmm. just the whole sit everything about it is just scary. Yes, yeah, it was pretty traumatizing. Uh, when I finally did get to the part of the psych ward where they do have the rooms and the beds and everything, but the place I was at, they had they pretty much had your day planned out for you. So I don't remember the exact order of everything, but of course you have your meals and then they also have times where you do like group activities. So mm-hmm. you might play a game that has to do with like self-affirmations and you probably you have like time where you can share with each other how you're feeling. You talk to a therapist or a social worker, someone to, with that sort of a title and they figure out where you are mentally you talk with a psychiatrist for your medications and you have time to like color do like activities and things like that and then you had a little bit of time to watch tv or just hang around if that's what you wanted to do so yeah that's what I did for six days it's pretty routine not Mm -hmm. much you can do but were you able to talk to your mom or yes Okay. I did. I did call my mom. And the funny thing about that is first thing she said was, where are you? We've been looking for you. Mm -hmm. We have no idea where you are. And I think at the time I said, really, the only thing I know is that they found me out in the middle of the street in oncoming traffic and they admitted me to the hospital and I asked Mm -hmm. her if she would just come. And of course Mm -hmm. she left work, packed up her bags. It was a two and a half hour drive and Mm -hmm. she came. But Mm -hmm. the funny thing about it is I wasn't supposed to have any visitors on that floor, like only between certain times would they allow people to come visit you. But the charge nurse did make an exception for me because Mm -hmm. they didn't know who I was and my mom had driven two and a half hours to get there. So they did arrange that we could meet privately and try to figure out what exactly happened. Both my mom and my dad 
came every day after that to visit mm-hmm. me during the visiting hours. That's yeah. good. So during mm-hmm. that time, I'm just like picturing what they show you like on TV and the movies when you're like in restraints and people screaming everywhere. What was, did you see any of that? Did you experience any of that? Is that true? Mm -hmm. Is that, yeah. It is. And I was Mm -hmm. restrained when Mm -hmm. they were taking me to the hospital. I was restrained Mm -hmm. and put in the back of an ambulance. And then even when I got into the inpatient side of the psych ward, you do see that too. Like people who are so like out of it that they have to restrain them or they have to give them something to calm them down. You do see that. How scary. Yeah. Mm. I think I'm not like these people. Why am I here? <laughs> That's what's going through my head at the time. Yeah. But then later I realized I'm a lot like these people actually. <laughs> That's a good point. And it's funny to think like these people were just like the stigma that comes with mm-hmm. having been admitted to a psych ward. Now I know it's like, those are deeply unpleasant places. Like I've never had a client that's done inpatient and come out and been like, I really feel like inpatient like healed me and was kind and not traumatic at all. Like it's a very broken system, which I think we'll get into a little bit later, but yeah, it also, I don't know. There's something about during that everyone who's in there is human having a human experience that they are very terrified as they experience. And Mm -hmm. there doesn't have to be so much separation between us temporarily quote unquote sane people and someone having a psychotic break it can really happen I guess it can't happen to anyone like you have to maybe have predisposition but it could happen to you we don't you don't know until it happens I think that's so important to help our listeners understand exactly Yeah. yeah and then working in healthcare now like I I don't work with psychiatric patients, but some of my patients do have some sort of psychiatric illness going on. And then just being on the patient side of things as well, like what you said, like it, it can be very dehumanizing in the way, the way that these people are looked at or the way that they're treated. And kind of like what I was saying before, like it's something like when you lose your connection with reality, you really don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're saying. And I think to some extent, healthcare workers or even people who aren't in healthcare think, oh, you can control this. You're just, you're just crazy. Like, you know, take your meds, you'll be fine. But it's a lot more to it than that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a big thing is like, people don't know what to do or how to help. Mm -hmm. And with that comes a lot of judgment and lumping everybody together as one. And you're, you know, a lot of generalization going on and stigmatization, obviously. And Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. Cause as a nurse as well, I've seen that too, where people, honestly, when it comes down to is your own individual self, not knowing how to handle the situation, or if you feel uncomfortable with somebody and how you're dealing with it personally, because that's what it comes down to is I've seen a lot of my coworkers just get really frazzled or they feel really uncomfortable and then they react, but it has nothing to do with that individual that they're helping. It's all about themselves, which is unfortunate. There could be a lot more training and better help on all levels in healthcare for people that have to serve others and know how to do Mm -hmm. that without hurting them even more. What is the Gary experience, especially for somebody that was just out of nowhere, all of a sudden your whole life changes. I could see the relief of having the diagnosis because now, yes, now I can do something about this and let's get me back to, you know what I mean? Get me on my medication, get me right, get me back to back on my path kind of thing. But 
who knew from like then to now that this is your path to go through that and then talk about it and share it with others. And I think that's such a beautiful thing as well that you're doing with it. Thank you. And yeah, and one thing that you said just made me think, going back to that humanization of people who have serious mental illnesses, like so many of them, if you just talk to them, they've got families, they've got kids, they've got spouses or significant others, and no one's really thinking about that. You just look at that person and and in that moment, if you were to just look at me, at least I don't think, but if you were to just look at me, you you probably wouldn't think, oh, this girl has experienced psychosis like you because I I don't come across as quote-unquote crazy and I'm educated all these things but that's not necessarily the characteristics that people associate with someone who has a mental illness like it is something that's invisible you cannot tell just by looking at somebody that whether or not they've they struggle with an illness like that or being introduced to somebody when they're in that manic state. And then that's not all of who they are either. Yeah. 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 I think that's so right, Alina, especially when we're throwing around words like psychosis, which I feel like people really don't understand like what that feels like, what that looks like. You think of it as somebody that might be houseless and many people who are houseless are experiencing untreated psychosis because our systems are broken but it's also like your teacher maybe your doctor maybe your therapist Mm -hmm. like we've anybody can have this kind of mental health challenge going on inside right but you're right I'm sure that most people you're very open so probably most people who know you know this about you but (laughs) if we were just meeting for the first time and I didn't I hadn't read the blog or known any of this stuff I would have no idea yeah Mm -hmm. I think maybe that speaks to your recovery too and the effort you've Mm -hmm. put in to that. And so I'm curious to hear once you got out of the hospital, like what, how did you start to build your life to where you are today? Tell us about that part. Yeah. Of the it took me a long time, y'all, a long time. Like I said, I had to move back in with my mom because I didn't have anywhere else to go. Thank God I had there to go. So many people, as you've already said, don't have anywhere to go and they don't have that support. So I'm very thankful that I did have that, but I isolated. Like I said, I didn't want anybody to know. So I was very ashamed. I felt like a failure, like everything I was working towards had just fallen apart. And I guess I, I identify so much with my academic endeavors and pursuits that when that fell apart, I fell apart. And I, it took a year, maybe more for me to even start feeling like myself again. And when I say feel like myself, I mean, I kind of had to recreate myself because I mean, once you experience something like that, you kind of, you see things differently, you experience things differently, but I was just didn't want to be bothered with anybody, but my mom, she was so good in the way she cared for me and supported me through my depression at that time. And so she educated herself on bipolar disorder and did a lot of research. I got involved with NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And that's where I started sharing my story with complete strangers. And for me, that was easier to share with strangers than to share with people that I knew because these people I'll probably never see again. They don't know me. I don't know them. So it's just easier to not have that connection. But I started sharing 
through NAMI. And then slowly started getting back into the workforce because I hadn't been working or making any money or anything. So just to feel like I had some sort of worth, just that step did a lot for me. Like it, it started to bring my confidence back and started to bring my value and my sense of self-worth back. Cause you know, I had something to do. I had something to look forward to. I was learning new things. I never thought I'd learn meeting people, communicating with people throughout the day. Cause like I said, I was isolating. I wasn't talking to anybody. So even just having that exposure to people besides my family was very helpful for me. And then eventually I had worked there for Maybe two years, there was an ultrasound tech who would come to that clinic where I worked and scan the cats and dogs there. And so that kind of got me into, huh, that looks cool. And maybe I could do that. So I actually ended up going back to school for ultrasound and graduated. And now that's what I do. So it's just, yeah, it's just crazy how that one little step can turn into this whole staircase, if you will, and mm-hmm. lead you somewhere that you never thought you were going to go. Yeah. And totally. these days you're married, right? You mm-hmm. got married yep. like a year ago, two years ago. And I got married in just December welcomed- of 21. Okay. And you so, and yeah. your husband just welcomed your baby it's last fall, right? Uh, last yeah. December. Last <laughs> so, yeah. December. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm really curious how motherhood impa- has impacted your mental health, because talk about a stressor. There's Mm -hmm. really probably nothing more stressful that a person can do than like carry a life, give birth to that life, and then have to keep that child alive. And so I'm curious how, like, how did, how was it for you while you were pregnant and then postpartum? That must've been really intense. It was intense because I made the decision to not take my medication because of how that would affect my child Mm -hmm. because I had been stable for so long. I had been on this medication since 2017, got pregnant five years later and I had been doing really good. Hadn't had any like major mood swings or anything. So I carried her without the medication and it really was mostly fine. I mean, work was still challenging and my sleep, I mean, When you're pregnant, I mean, of course, your sleep is going to be affected too. I didn't really attribute that to bipolar disorder, but it wasn't until like my third trimester, I was about ready to have her that I started having problems. So I had, in addition to my second psychotic episode that I experienced, I had postpartum preeclampsia. So hypertension basically, but most often it's during pregnancy, but mine happened after I had her. So anyway, I was in and out of the hospital and I've got this newborn baby at home. Basically, she would come to see me. My husband would bring her, but she couldn't stay. So that was hard dealing with the preeclampsia. Like my blood pressure was like stroke level. Like it was super high and it was hard to get it under control. So I was hospitalized multiple times. I don't even know how many times. I was hospitalized multiple times for them to try to get it under control. And Mm -hmm. anyway, once I finally came back home after they got me stable, got my blood pressure stable, I did end up having another episode. And so of course that kept me away from her too. I had to go through the ER and then to an inpatient facility. So it's kind of like I was reliving it all over again. 
But I can say that having my child and my husband and just a support of my family really helped me to get through it, I think. Or I think it was a big piece of it. I do think that having experienced once before helped, but also having her and knowing that if I don't get the help that I need, I cannot be a good parent to her. I've got to, I've got to take care of me so that I can take care of her and be there for my family and whatnot. So I think that the parenting aspect of things that really helped me to understand that the taking care of yourself component. And also she just, she just brings me so much joy. What a tough choice to have to decide, okay, I'm going to go off my medication for the health Mm -hmm. of my baby, even though it could have consequences for the health of me. And then to go through such scary physical thing. And then a second psychotic episode, do you feel like you recognized the signs of it sooner? Did you recognize what was happening or did you just slip out of reality and not notice it until you were like way out of reality? It might sound weird to say, but I kind of both. I think I did realize it, but then a part of me was like, no, you're just thinking that because you've experienced it before and you're just scared Mm -hmm. that's going to happen to you again, but that's not really going to happen to you again. You're just scared it's going to happen to you again Mm -hmm. because I did... I don't know. I I wasn't really experiencing the mania at that point when I was having that kind of thought. It was more so fear that I was experiencing and like anxiety and things like that. So that's, I think that's why I attributed it to, oh, you're just paranoid. You're just thinking this is going to happen again, but not really. Mm -hmm. And then once I actually did lose touch with reality, it was just too late at that point. (laughs) <laughs> and then my husband, so he he knew, of course, that I had bipolar disorder before we even got into a relationship. And he knew that I experienced psychosis before. And I was very open with him about that from the beginning, but he had never actually seen me in that state. He really didn't know <laughs> what he was seeing or hearing and all the stuff, but it literally was like one second, I'm okay. Like I had run some errands earlier that day and everything was fine. And then I came home and a little bit later, it's just like that switch again. And all of a sudden I'm not there anymore. Damn. That's really recent. I know. really appreciate you talking about something that's so recent that you're just Mm -hmm. a couple of months recovering from. Yeah. Um, Could you pull on past experience in the room, Mm -hmm. like the like bouncing back process? Yeah, I definitely feel like, because my recovery the first time, like I said, was, it was well over a year. This time, it was just, it was so quick this time. And I feel like a lot of it has to do with the fact that I had experienced it before. And I realized what worked and what didn't work. So what didn't work was isolating and not talking about it. Because once I did start opening up the first time, I received so much support and love from people that I wasn't expecting and so that helped me my the most recent time that I had my episode. So that would be December of last year. Yeah, that really helped me to get through it better this time and quicker this mm-hmm. time. I did have to go to the psych ward again. But even my experience there was totally different from how I experienced it the first time. And I'm so grateful that it sounds like, why would you say this? But I'm so grateful that it had happened before. 
and that this wasn't the first time that it occurred, like mm-hmm. after I had my baby and all this stuff, because I felt like I could have been in a totally different place mentally and emotionally. Yeah. So I'm very thankful that this was my second time around and that I already had tools in my tool bag to be able to be like, okay, this is what I need yeah. to do to recover. Yeah. In a way that first time prepared you for this time? Or- yeah, it did. Yeah. It did. And you didn't have to go through it alone and you have your baby and all of that, which is beautiful. Do you have any words that you would want to share with other moms that may be experiencing something similar or have experienced something similar? Is there anything that you do that helps ground you or pull you back into the present and be present for your baby? So yeah, self-care is a big thing for me now. And I I realize that when I'm not taking care of myself, like it's just not good for anybody, not just me, but anybody. But for me, writing is a big one. And I do like mostly blogging now, but I have journaled and do journal occasionally now. But just being able to get my words out and being able to share it with people, that helps me on my own healing journey and recovery Mm -hmm. process and even like little things like going to get my nails done or get a pedicure and stuff like that like just some time to just focus on me and fill my cup and then also you know I've been I've had a few therapists since my diagnosis or since my psychotic first psychotic episode but things like eating healthy are big like eating healthy and exercise practicing mindfulness like all those are things that have helped me and even like the grounding techniques, like five things you can see, four things you can hear, whatever the thing is, but trying to get your Mm -hmm. senses involved to kind of take your mind off of all that other stuff that's going on, just ground yourself. So I've tried different things at different phases of my recovery, but I think Mm -hmm. right now what's working for me the best is just writing and sharing. Everything you just shared, it's so important for people to hear that these simple things really do work, mm-hmm. especially the mindfulness and the the grounding tools. It's the simple stuff, y'all. It doesn't uh, always have to be some big complicated, like yes. months long <laughs> intervention. Sometimes That's it's literally just like counting, like doing yeah. math. <laughs> it can bring you back. Alina, we wanted to try and tie your personal experience into some of the bigger, like systemic advocacy pieces you've been doing around mental health. And I was going through your blog to get ready for the for the interview and saw that you had a post on bias and that you talk about bias quite a bit in your work that you've been doing. And mm-hmm. I wondered if you could just talk about how you see bias showing up in the mental health care system. Um, for me personally, one way that it shows up is So the psychiatrist that I think he was the first psychiatrist that I started seeing after I was discharged from the hospital, but he was very, I guess, reluctant to give me the diagnosis of bipolar disorder versus brief psychotic disorder. One of the things that I wish he would have done are to ask the right questions, because I think a lot of times a lot of assumptions are made on the clinician's part. And instead of asking what my mood state or emotional state was pre-psychosis, instead of just picking up at the psychosis part and moving forward, let's backtrack a little bit and figure out how did you get here? And I don't know if it's because I told him that I had never 
been to like a sought treatment for depression or anything like that before. So I don't know if, if that was why he was like, it must not have been serious enough. You had to go see someone. I can't really infer, I guess, what was going on in his mind. But to me, it felt like I wasn't being heard and that he wasn't getting the whole picture mm-hmm. as far as what I had experienced or what I had experienced before that and what I, even what I was going through at the time that I was sitting in his office. So that's one thing for me personally. And then things that I've observed, it's just there's a lot of access and like availability issues. I don't know if this is not necessarily bias, but access as far as insurance. Like I went without insurance for four years, I think. And I've noticed having had having not had insurance and then now having it, how different those populations are treated yeah. and in their their care. If you don't have insurance or if you're on Medicaid or whatever, you're treated very differently from someone who does have insurance and can go to these private providers. And uh, it really breaks my heart because it's a lot of times not the fault of that person, but you know, why they are where they are. Everybody's got a story, you know, but people sometimes can't really look past where you are in that moment, you know, to understand like you as a person, how did you get here? So yeah, I think that those populations are treated very differently too. And I think there's a lot of bias that goes into that as well. Like people just kind of write you off when you are poor or you don't have much versus when you have more, you know? Yeah, definitely. I wanted to go back and speak to what you were saying about your first psychiatrist who just met you where you were at and didn't dive into further to see the big picture because my, one of my good friends, she was also diagnosed diagnosed bipolar, but where they met her was in a very depressive space and they prescribed medication based on that and didn't Mm. go any further. And that kind of expedited her mania. And like, then she found out she was bipolar. And by then it was like, it like, it just, it was the wrong medication for her because they didn't think to go and talk to her more about what was going on throughout her whole life kind of thing. Yeah. So I think it's so important to to get like the big picture and not just treat right now what's going on. Because I think a lot of doctors, they treat, they don't think holistically like us nurses do. <laughs> they, see <the> problem. <laughs> they see the problem right now and they want to fix it and that's it. But you have to look at the big picture and you have to look at the individual and the person and the story behind it. So yeah, yeah. So thank you for bringing that up because I think that's mm. so important. And what? healthcare professionals, anybody listening can also (laughs) help with bring to the table if you're meeting with somebody in that space, just to not just treat them right this second, but you're treating the whole picture, the whole story, what brought them there. Uh Yeah. Yeah. And I know exactly what you mean too, but the patients with no insurance or low income or Uh people of color, it's just a fucked up system. Yeah. And it's sad because it's not their fault. It's not our, it's not that individual's fault. There just needs to be more support and more help. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask Elena, are there any, just doing like a little myth buster or whatever, (laughs) any myths about this diagnosis that you want to just like bust? Like, I just feel like 
there's so mm. much stigma around bipolar mm -hmm. and what that looks like and what that means. And yeah, is there any ones that you're just like, that is totally not what it is? Yeah. <laughs> and ones that like come to mind. <laughs> So I actually, it's funny that you say that because I follow, she's a licensed marriage and family therapist, Katie Morton. I follow her like on Instagram and YouTube and stuff. And she actually just had a post. I want to say she posted like a couple of days ago about myths about bipolar disorder. And one of the ones that she posted and that I was like, yeah, people definitely think that is that people think when you have bipolar disorder that you're always either manic or depressed. There is no in between. You don't have periods of stability. Like this is just... You're constantly back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it's not, mm -hmm. it's not like that, especially if you're, you know, if you're on the right treatment plan, it's not like you, you do have your periods of stability that you experience too. And then another one is that people with bipolar disorder or serious mental illnesses don't live or lead productive lives. And that's not true either. Or that they're dangerous and they're violent when they're probably not any more dangerous or violent than the average person. So those are three mm -hmm. of them that come off right off the top of my head. But yeah, there's so many. I know. I think that's such a big one when you, you said that they don't lead like productive, like fulfilling lives. Mm -hmm. Like they do, you do. Yeah. I wanted to ask too about bipolar two disorder. So we, really, when we're talking about bipolar disorder, it is actually, a it's like a spectrum disorder, basically. Yes. And I think there's a myth that bipolar two is like the good one to have, or like the, it's like the less bipolar. And I actually have that diagnosis. Um, I remember telling people back in 2016, when I first got it and it was like, oh, that's not the serious one though. And it actually huh. is quite serious. And I think I remember reading that people with bipolar two disorder actually carry a much higher risk for death by suicide because of how much time you spend in the depressed state versus hypomanic. Yes. And mm -hmm. so I know you're diagnosed bipolar one and it's two different points along the spectrum, but mm -hmm. I just wanted to put that out there and see if you had any thoughts or if in your research, you've seen that myth out there too. Yeah, I've definitely encountered a lot of that. And I feel like a lot of it is, it's like how people talk about it. Bipolar one, so it's more severe mania. It's more severe this, it's more severe that. But like you said, people with bipolar two have also read that as well, that they experience the depressive state more intensely than people who have bipolar one disorder. And that's just as serious as having a severe manic episode having a severe depressive episode is also just as serious I don't know it's I wish people just had a better understanding of the illnesses in general because I of course a better understanding influences how you talk about it but I guess that's just like the easy way for people to make the distinction is just like one is more serious than the other you don't experience the mood swings as frequently or as intensely as the other but yeah I don't necessarily think that's a an accurate assessment of the two. Yeah. We just have this like really reductive way of thinking about mental yeah. illness or mental health. Cause even people, I see diagnoses like anxiety being really minimized these days. Oh, everybody has anxiety. Like mm -hmm. first of all, no, not everybody does have anxiety. And if you have like severe generalized anxiety disorder, it is debilitating. <laughs> and yes. It, and it can be treated and there's like a beautiful life you can build. But these are really serious things. And we treat, we just think about it in a really overly simplified, almost dismissive way sometimes in conversation. Mm -hmm. And I, it's really, 
I don't know, reductive and not helpful to people who right. are having those, ex- having e- experiencing active symptoms. Cause then you can gaslight yourself. Like it's not that serious. I'm being like, I'm just not being strong or I'm being a baby or I'm overreacting and yeah. no, it's and serious. You're allowed to need help. Yeah. And I think a lot of that kind of thinking comes too from people comparing their experiences to other people's experience because everybody's going to feel sadness. Everybody's going to feel fear. Everybody's going to feel this way or that way, mentally, emotionally. But there, there does come a point where you're experiencing it to an extent that you qualify for a disorder. And I think that's something that people don't always get. Because like you said, people are like, I have anxiety. You can have anxiety and not have an anxiety disorder. You can mm-hmm. feel sad and not be, have a, depre- a dis- diagnosis of major depressive disorder or whatever the case is. So there's just like a spectrum that people fall on when it comes to these mental health disorders. And if you haven't experienced it or you don't, you haven't lived with the effects of it, it's probably something that's difficult to understand. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think what you said earlier, playing back to like, you didn't like in hindsight, you can see what was going on, like leading Mm -hmm. up to your first psychosis event, because similar for me, I didn't know that I had so much anxiety or depression until I was coming out of it. And I was like, yeah, oh shit, there is a life after that. There is like a different type of life. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know because I was living a certain way for so fucking long that I was like, I thought that was it. So yeah, I think, I don't know. I just wanted to also say that because you also speaking to what you said earlier, you don't know when you're in it. Like that is your reality. You're however you're feeling in that moment, whatever you're seeing, whatever you're hearing, whatever, that is your reality at that Mm -hmm. time. And so like, you can't talk somebody out of that. You have to meet them where they're at and understand that that they're going through something and that, whether that be psychosis whether it be anxiety depression that is their full reality at that moment mm-hmm. yeah yeah so thank you for all of this elena you've given and shared so much of your story with us and i know it's just like a big there's so much and you just put it in an hour but it's like i know it's how big it is and so thank you for for sharing and educating us on it a little bit more. Because again, like I said, my friend is diagnosed bipolar and she had a rough go with it and she's getting better now, but it's helped me a lot this episode. So thank you so much. (laughs) Is there anything else that you wanted to make sure to share with our listeners? Anything that we, you know, before we wrap up that we didn't have the chance to talk about yet that you want to highlight or point people to? because you're just a wealth of information. We'll make sure that people know where to find you, but anything you were hoping to talk about today that we didn't have the chance to get into yet? I think the last thing I want to say, and it's just so simple, but just be kind to people. You just never know. You never know what somebody's been through or is going through. So yeah, just be kind. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Um, As I said, listeners, Elena is just a wealth of information on this topic. She writes a blog. She's started a podcast. So where can people find you? You can find me on social media at The Bipolar Buzz. And if you go to my website, thebipolarbuzz.com slash links, there's a list of everywhere that you can find me. So YouTube, podcast, blog, everything is listed on there. So that would be the place to go. Perfect. We'll make sure that we link to that and share that all. And 
listeners, you know where you can find us. You can find us on Instagram at sh- underscore don't talk about it pod. And you can also email us at info at sh- don't talk.com. Sh- is always S H H H. Alina, thank you again thank from you, the Alina. bottom of our. We are so grateful to you. We're inspired by your recovery and it gives us, fills me with hope, I can say. And I hope that our listeners take that away from your story too. And we'll see y'all next time. Thank you. Thank Thank you you. for having me. Yes. Bye. Bye.